Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To say he was unpopular would be an understatement. No one liked him. No one liked what he had to say, especially. You know that saying, uh, don't shoot the messenger? I think it may have originated with him. He went to the places of power in his city, and he would go there with words of doom and gloom. He would show up, and he would tell the people there that what they were doing, the way they were participating, was not the problem, but what they were doing was being rejected by God. It was not appreciated by him. And it had very little to do with what they were doing in their worship of God. It had everything to do with how they lived their lives Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It had everything to do with how they behaved outside of the temple, away from God. So they thought. And so the people did not like his messages. They didn't appreciate what he had to say. He said things like this, I am sick, says Yahweh, of your sacrifices. I've had it up to my teeth with your worship. And because of these things, you will end up like Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm speaking of the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was the first writing prophet in ancient Israel. And Isaiah would go to the temple. He would go to the king's palace. And he had words of judgment for Israel because they were not living up to the covenant. The covenant, if you remember, was started with the Ten Commandments. But there was much more to the covenant. In fact, there were 716 laws by some counts that Israel had to follow. And there was covenant blessings and there was covenant curses. The the blessings were, if you do what I've asked you to do, then guess what? The crops will flourish. I will send rain at the right times and I will send heat at the right times. And you will be eating from last excuse me, two years ago's crop, which was a big deal in the ancient world. There will be no wild animals in your land. So you will have no fear when you go to draw water at the well. You'll have no fear when you walk from one town to the next that the lion or the bear or the wolf will attack you. You'll have uh, rest from war. You'll have peace with all your surrounding neighbors. You will be the most prosperous nation. When people walk through your cities and your towns, they will be awestruck at the health and the prosperity of your people. But there is also covenant curses. If you fail, 
If you fail to follow the ways that I have outlined for you, then I will bring pestilence on your land. There will be plague. Your crops will fail. I will not send the rains at the right time. I will send drought. I will send famine. I will send the wild animals and the snakes, and they will come and they will kill you and your young. I will send enemies, and they will destroy your land. Isaiah came speaking the covenant curses to Israel. And he was not listened to, partly because I think it was during the heyday of Israel. It was during a time of great prosperity. And don't we do this? When life goes well, we think, well, God must be pleased with me. God must be really happy with me or my country or my town or my state. We must be doing everything right because it was a great harvest, because I have been blessed financially. That's typically the terms we think about. But there's other ways we experience blessing. Our health, that's become a big one this year. Our friends, our family, our relationships. And it's interesting because there's been a lot of question as to God's blessing on our country this year because there's a plague about. And there's financial hardship for many. And so people wonder Is God angry with us? Is God judging us? But during times of plenty, during times when things are going well, rarely do we give that thought. And it was during those times that Isaiah came, and you can imagine the response that people gave him. What's wrong with this guy? Just Be quiet and enjoy the ride, the prosperity, the wealth. Leave us alone. And it would be a hundred years later that Isaiah's prophecies would come true and Babylon would come and destroy. They would burn down the temple. They would burn down the king's palace It would be like if a foreign army were to come to the United States and destroy the White House, destroy the Capitol building, destroy the Washington Monument, destroy all those things that we hold to be sacred as Americans. That's what Isaiah was telling the people would happen. And it did happen 100 years later. And now you're wondering, preacher, didn't you go to the Christmas parade last night? I mean, Santa showed up. Why are we at church with purple again? This isn't Lent. This is Christmas. Why doom and gloom? Now you can see why I started with Isaiah. Because we want Christmas. And especially this year, With coronavirus, we don't want COVID to cancel Christmas. It's canceled enough already. And why on earth does the church decide to be out of step with the culture? And isn't that the point? And shouldn't that be the emphasis of the church? The church's calendar should be the church's calendar, and it should not be dictated to us by the culture. 
It should not be dictated to us by business interests, government interests. It should be dictated to us by Christ the King. And so for 2,000 years, and probably not that long, but we know at least in the 400s AD, the church started to participate in this season called Advent. And the season of Advent is a time where we prepare ourselves to remember Christ's first coming, but it's also a time to prepare ourselves and the world that we live in for Christ's second coming. One author that I read this week, I thought she put it brilliantly. She said, the church is Advent people because we live between these two Advents. That's where the church is always. It's in between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. We're always in a season of Advent. And most of the time, if life is going well, we are unaware of that. But my guess is this year, I don't have to work very hard to remind you that we are Advent people, that the world is awaiting That the world is waiting. And what is it waiting for? It's waiting for rescue. It's waiting for salvation. It's waiting for vaccination at this point, right? Where we can go about doing life how we want to do life. Most of you don't care, but you realize today the Broncos do not have a quarterback to play in their game. Kurt joked and said, they're probably going to call me up. And I'm like, no, they're going to grab Elway out of the GM box and they're going to start John, right? The glory days. But then I remember John Cougar Mellencamp's song, the glory days, they'll pass you by. And we are in this bizarre season. I don't know about you, but I am so tired of even turning on a sporting event and seeing people wearing masks and seeing empty stands and seeing social distancing on benches. And I'm just over it. I'm tired of hearing about another person who has contracted the virus. I'm tired. I have, I guess they have a word for this now, COVID fatigue. But for me, and the story I've lived in this year, I've had this fatigue for over a year now. Because things in my life started falling apart before COVID happened. Some of the things that happened to me are my own undoing, my own poor decisions that I made. And some of them are decisions that others made for me. And perhaps you've experienced that in your life, where you have experienced consequences because of bad decisions you made, or consequences about decisions others have made for you. And I just think, man, if anyone needs Advent this year, it's us. If anyone needs Advent this year, but preacher, we need to get to the good parts. We need to be 
joyful. We need to, didn't your little song you sing say, rejoice? It's interesting to me, as I focus on Advent more, and I've been doing this for the last 10 years or so, because in the last church I pastored, we had a, we tragically had a high schooler who committed suicide uh, right after the first Sunday of Advent. And all of a sudden, singing Christmas carols at church was just, it turned my stomach to think about. And I just thought, what resources exist during Christmas for people who are in grief and pain? And I realized as I studied and I looked into Advent, I was like, oh my gosh, for 2,000 years, the church has had deep resources for those who are waiting, for those who are grieving, for those who are in great pain. But because we've allowed the culture to hand us the the calendar, we've forgotten. That's why Jesus in this text from Mark, his words are so important for us Advent people. Don't let me find you asleep. Keep watch. It's no fun being out of sync with Main Street. It's no fun being out of sync with the culture. But it's powerful. One of the things that's so fascinating with our culture today is that consumerism dominates everything. And so for the next several weeks, and it's actually started a few weeks ago, like as soon as Halloween ended, the, they were trying to get me to buy a car for myself, you know, and put a bow on it and walk out and go to Steve, from Steve. Yeah, I've been a good boy this year. I deserve that, right? And, and right now we're in the season of binge. It's like, a, it's like a competition. Who can get the most stuff, eat the most stuff, enjoy the most stuff from now till a little after New Year's Day. And then all of a sudden the marketing shifts on us. And the marketing becomes purge. Did you put on a few pounds? Did you run up some debt? Do you have some regrets? Well, shame on you, but we've got a fix for that. Here's an exercise bike. Here's an exercise mirror. You seen that one? Ugh. Right? And the TV and people watching you. And it's like, no thanks. That's terrible. Here's some debt relief. Here's this thing for you. Here's all these services. And again, it's commercialism because we went to the same big box store for the binge, and now we're going to the same big box store for the purge. But what does the church offer? The church offers a countermeasure. You see, what Advent offers is the same as the season that Lent, what it offers. It offers a fast before the feast. You see, our consumer culture gets it backwards. They offer binge before purge, but the church offers fast before feast because it's reminding us that this life isn't all that there is to life. In fact, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this life is the closest you'll ever be to hell. And the next life to come 
oh my gosh, we will feast in the house of Zion. There will be no more weeping, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more masks, literally or figuratively. We will be known and we will fully known God. And that is the great feast. Sadly, it doesn't happen December 25th. December 25th, I pray and hope for all of us will be a wonderful, joyous, awesome day. But you know what was said at our Thanksgiving table right as we were finishing the meal? Boy, that went quick. All that work and 10, 15, 20 minutes to eat it. And now what do we do? Well, we unbutton the top you know, button in our pants and we kick back and we watch a game. Then we're hungry a few hours later, so then we grab another piece of pie and we grab some more turkey and that puts us to sleep for another few hours. And then Jesus comes along on Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, and he says, don't let me catch you sleeping. You'll never know when I come back. You never know when the second advent, my second coming, my second return happens. So don't let yourselves be lulled to sleep. But be on the lookout because you have not had the feast yet. Just ask that fly. (laughs) And that really confused those poor people. Anyways. So for the next four, there are three weeks now, we're going to take a look at some Advent passages. It's going to feel a little disjointed, perhaps, to what's going on in Cavalier. It's going to feel disjointed as to what's going on on television. It's going to feel a little discombobulated to what's going on in the culture around you. And don't worry, you're going to be okay. It's good for us. It's good for our hearts. It's good for our souls to not allow the culture to dictate to us, the church, what season it is, what time it is. You see the clock on the bank says it's time to celebrate. And the church says, "Eh, hold your horses. Yeah, there's coming a time to celebrate. But that time will come when the king says the time comes. For now, we just get little samples. You've been to Sam's Club or Costco? We get little samples. Next week, we'll get a little sample with communion. Thanksgiving, if you had a good one, was a little sample. Christmas, little sample. One day. One day, those empty chairs from grandparents and great-grandparents who have passed or parents who have passed or children, God forbid, who have passed, who have died in the Lord will be filled again. And oh, what a feast that will be. So church, wake up. Wake up to Advent to the resources that are available to you during this 
difficult season when everyone says put on a happy face because it's the most wonderful time of the year and you're thinking, I don't know if I buy this right now. Wake up. Wake up to when it will be the most wonderful time, not of the year, but of the cosmos. Well, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you are not slow in keeping your promises, that you have promised to us that Jesus will one day return, just like he came the first time, that you fulfilled that promise that you gave to us long ago, even in the Garden of Eden. You said there would be a serpent crusher, and he came. And it is days and months and years like 2020 where we need to remember that this is the closest to hell we will ever be if we have trusted Christ. And that one day you will return and you will put the world to right. Holy Spirit, give us faith to stay awake to those realities. Amen.